0: Welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. So first and foremost, Every time I get a New Yorker on this show, and especially if I get a New Yorker from Brooklyn, I have to give a shout out to my hometown. So we got Borough Park in the building. Those that don't know where Borough Park is, it's right next to Sunset Park. It's on the south end of Brooklyn. So my man, Nachman, right? So I'm going to give him a particular nickname. And it took me a while to figure out how to name this individual because in one aspect, he specializes in Amazon. In another aspect, he specializes in an accountant. But he's grown a business to where he specializes more so on so e nickname I'm going to give him is the ecom accounting boss. My man, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what we're talking about today?
1: Hi. Yeah. So thanks for having me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. My name is Nachman Lieser, and I'm the CEO and founder of Connectbooks. Yeah. My background is in accounting. Um, I started this, I started a bookkeeping company five years ago where i was looking to i was doing accounting work for a large wholesale company i was looking to do something more on my own Mm -hmm. so that's when i started this bookkeeping company and as i started this bookkeeping company i started working with amazon sellers and we had a kind of interesting story at the point we had two people were splitting up and the Partner A was buying partner B, but in Amazon these two types of businesses. You have um they call private label and then you have the retail arbitrage. So retail means like you buy like a lot of branded products. Like you buy, let's say, dual Nike, Ninja, you know, anything else you'll find there. And then private label means say you just make your own brand. Like for example, You'll go to China, you'll source your products and, you know, you'll put your own label on it. So this company, in private label, usually people would carry like sometimes two or three items. I even had customers only sell one type of product on Amazon. Um, they'll go up to a couple hundred, but you won't, really you won't see like 10,000, you know, private 10,000 items on a private label. Retail arbitrage, people can sell 20,000 different products because they'll have softwares that are, are pulling, you know, managing all these moving parts and they're going to try to look for deals all over all over the place huh. so this company was a private label company and they had 10 products on amazon and mr a was only a partner in three out of the 10 products so when mr b said you know when they were splitting up they need to know the profitability in every single product mm-hmm. And plus, Mister B wanted to buy off Mister A, but he was like, "Okay, if the business made, let's say, hundred thousand dollars, doesn't mean that we're giving you fifty because we need to know how much just these three products made. They weren't 50 $50. And that was a complicated part. Plus, you know, one partner was scared, another partner might be embezzling money and other stuff. So, I had a big job to like take the last two years' worth of data and kind of dig through it, you know, from A to Z, to really get a deep understanding of what's going on here. And that's when I came up with this idea, you know, like I was looking to expand my bookkeeping company. And I was like, hey, you know, if I can just take this work that I did now and kind of expand in the Amazon industry, you know, this could be a game changer for my bookkeeping company. So what what I I had a friend then who who was um he was doing programming and he had an office right next to mine. And I was like, you know, so so the way I, I did all this work for them, this company that I've been working for, was I downloaded a lot of spreadsheets from Amazon, like t- um, text files, put them into Excel, and we built our own macros and formulas We built this whole spreadsheet. But really, that was very good just for a guy like me. My staff wouldn't be able to deal with it. It's not something, you know, there's any little change in the formula, something goes wrong. It was very complicated. So I I wanted to automate that process and I... Started thinking that if I can take this process that I'm doing this for this customer and kind of build it into a software and automate it, you know, then it's gonna it's gonna go. So I reached out to this. Uh, so this programmer told me he can, you know, develop such a type of software. And originally, when we started developing software, it was just in house. Um, we wanted to use the software just to grow our bookkeeping company and you know just kind of um, get more clients. And as we were, um, I started speaking to Amazon sellers, and they were like, "You know, this is a very cool product, something we can use, but you know, we're not going to give you all our bookkeeping. We wanna, you, we wanna, we have like bookkeepers, CFOs, and all that stuff in house. So we'll just take the tool in house, plug it in, and use it. So we kind of made a 360 degree on our software development." And I mean, we still developed it the same way, but we had to add on a lot of new features like users and billing and all that kind of stuff. And we also needed to design it way fancier and better that, you know, it should be something that we can sell to the public. Mm-hmm. So we kind of at that point started selling it to the public and we kind of, so that's where really it came across where we kind of took the company, split it in two and we continued running our bookkeeping division. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of continued to, to develop the software, which to date we have over a thousand customers Hmm. using our, our software every single day.
0: So, I mean, I th- th- that's a hell of a story, and I, I want the listener to really listen to-, to his nuances, right? First of all, his customer kind of delegated the direction of what the company should go into based upon the supply and demand, right? So, like, my next question is, obviously, you knew Amazon was a big player, but your software also patches directly into Shopify, Walmart, eBay, and also on the back end of QuickBooks. So, like, how did that play into it? Because, I mean, those are completely different languages. Are you more doing API integrations? Like, how how, how is the connections work?
1: So t- I'm actually not a developer. Okay. I'm just an accountant, and I hired a team, and today we have a team of developers you know, working on a product. So the product started originally in Amazon, um, and the way we integrate is API integrations. We do API calls. Um, we do, I mean, last month Amazon sent us a report. Amazon recently rolled out a new API, mm-hmm. they, and they made us switch over to it so they're kind of like going through all applications so they sent us a report last month that we made like a million calls that was only for one month um we do we do like 100 i mean we do a lot of calls every single day back and forth to amazon for every single account um to kind of get all that information that's that's needed and necessary, like the orders, products, and stuff like that. Now, the, the software is integration to QuickBooks, meaning we didn't develop our own accounting system, but what we did is we kind of, we insert the data for you in QuickBooks. So it's really with a one-click button that everything comes in. And we also, we kind of set it up the right way for you. So there's a lot of hurdles that you're going to have to go through in terms of like understanding um, how how do you like, How do i set this up how do i set that up how do i set up all this information in quickbooks and besides just like automating the process we also automate the setup for you like we set everything up for you obviously everything is customizable so that's kind of like the bridge between we work we work between amazon and quickbooks then at some point as we were expanding you know we wanted to add on you know we we wanted to add more and more stuff so we kind of um added on ebay we added on walmart and now we're actually just launched our Shopify integration. I mean, it was on beta up for like the last two or three months. Shopify, I would say, is like a beer on its own. It's like very, very different. Um, most other marketplaces try to copy the Amazon way. Like, for example, Walmart is pretty much like even the way they operate. Like, let's say, for example, the way you get paid, right? So in Amazon, if you're an Amazon seller, they'll pay you once every two weeks. And they'll tell you, okay, we sent you... in your bank, and then you can pull a different report, which will give you the breakdown of that $100,000. Walmart kind of does the same. eBay started doing the same this year. eBay used to be different. Um, I mean, eBay bought off PayPal, but when, like, if you if you purchase something on eBay, you can pay via PayPal. But the sellers also got paid via PayPal. The money would come into their PayPal account. At this point, PayPal is out of the picture, which makes it much easier for in terms of like bookkeeping and all that. Cool. So eBay, I forgot what they call it. They call um they can have some name for like eBay deposit, eBay money. I forgot found what it was. And the money also comes in, like I think it comes in more every day, but they stopped this whole loop working through PayPal and taking PayPal fees and all that. And uh, Shopify also started working that way, meaning to say um, where you have like the money comes in like once a day. But the the, the, the hardest thing of Shopify in terms of bookkeeping, which that's really where we excelled a lot and that was very different than Amazon, is that Shopify offers our customers to get paid in many different ways. Meaning to say Shopify lets you, if you want to let us use a firm. Right. So a firm is a company that if you want to buy, if so let's say I have a Shopify website and I'm selling, let's say a high ticket item for a thousand bucks, you want to get 10 minutes, 10 months to pay for it. You can like install like a little plugin, which would say, okay, apply for credit and, you know, like get 0% interest or whatever the deal is. And you can pay over time. So the seller, however, gets the money right away the next day from a firm. So that kind of all gets very confusing in terms of Shopify bookkeeping because you can enable so many different ways how to get paid, besides getting meaning you can enable customers to pay you through your Shopify platform from so many different ways besides using the Shopify platform, which that makes it more complicated. So we kind of connect with those four marketplaces and we have more to come. And then we pull together all the accounting data and then we'll bring it into QuickBooks.
0: All right. So let's talk about this, right? So, I mean, obviously someone that has QuickBooks and that QuickBooks may be connected to Shopify, maybe connected to like Amazon, it may be connected to PayPal. You sell something and it comes back in and maybe you run your profit loss sheets and you're trying to figure out, okay, maybe I bought $10,000 worth of product and I converted that into 20,000. What's my margins and all that? But you're saying essentially your software does that for them on a daily, on a fly, so they can get a visual representation to know exactly where they are with their costs and their margins without even having to log into QuickBooks, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so, so we we'll, we'll kind of take that. What we do is two stuff. We kind of bring the data into our database because we're the middle the middle man between the two platforms, and then we also do on our website reporting. Um, like, if they want to see if they make money on a certain product, they see it on their website. Um, and besides that, we get the data into QuickBooks. Now, one of the things we kind of differ from, I would say, from everybody. Is when we send the data to QuickBooks, one of the things we focus a lot is that it should match the bank account. So a lot of times these software is that kind of like sync over every single order. And then what ends up happening is you get like so many, you have know, so many different orders. And when you reconcile your bank and you're kind of trying to take those orders, when you reconcile the bank and you're kind of trying to take those orders and match it back up to the bank account, it's like almost impossible. You're probably going to spend two weeks just figuring that out itself. So the way we bring it in, we bring it into QuickBooks in a certain way where it's automatically going to match your bank. So in terms of reconciling or matching it up to your bank, it's a no-brainer. its a no However, we kind of cut a lot of corners in the other end, meaning to say in terms of like analyzing the data you don't need to have every single order in quickbooks it's just going to overload and slow the system uh-huh. so for that part what we do is we do the reporting on our website now on our website the reporting is way more clear and it's way more nicer because we can customize it to what we need uh-huh. like for example we'll show you every single SKU with a picture of the product so if you forgot what the SKU is you see a picture um and then we have also like all different types of filters like you can filter we have an every column on the report will have a filter so if you want to filter any product like less than 10 percent profit margin you just go to that column profit margin and filter less than 10 percent in quickbooks you don't have that option because it's just like a it's just like a report you could try to filter the whole report but you can't specify one that so there's a lot of like and it goes back originally to one of the things which makes our software unique is that a lot of times you have like softwares that are developed by programs like a programmer comes up with some sort of idea and that's when they start to pitch it. We're actually accountants, and we're actually doing accounting, and we're doing the bookkeeping work. And we develop it from a bookkeeping perspective, not from a programming perspective, which gives a whole different look as how the program works and how the program operates. So, in terms of, let's say, for example, um, like like whatever whatever we'll tell you to do is something that is something that we do, and that's kind of how we built it. So, originally, like when we built the ConnectBook software we had it in mind to match the bank because that was for us the most important part. I mean to say when someone, when I give somebody a P and L from QuickBooks and I tell them, Hey, you lost, I have now one customer. They had a, they're a very big seller. They do like, I say 3 million a month and uh, 3 million sales. And last month they had a loss of like a hundred thousand. Hmm. And here it starts the million dollar question. Is this accurate? or is it not, they're saying, Does it doesn't make sense. I'm saying, well, numbers are numbers. Now, If all the numbers that come into QuickBooks match a bank account and there's no like clearing account, I'm like, hey, you know, I know I recorded $2 million in sales, but this, your deposit was, let's say a million dollars. And these all numbers total up and I can work backwards and I can prove that to them and I can show them. These are the numbers and these actually match what hit your bank. So there's not really too much you can tell me. Not really you can say it's wrong. You know, versus if you're kind of doing different assumptions, not matching the bank or like, oh, I'll do that next month or this month. Then like when the numbers don't show the way you want and you start to question them, it's like really, really a nightmare. So what we're saying is that originally we built it to match always the bank. And then we also used to do certain reporting in QuickBooks. However, we bumped into a lot of limitations. Yeah. So that's when we decided to build out the reporting tool on the website, which we kind of work with both at this point.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, obviously all of this, right. I mean, I think at one point in time you were doing like revenue of 10,000 K per month and obviously you scaled way past that. So I want to kind of talk about like your journey to get to where you are. Like, like, like why did you decide to do a bootstrapping model? Right. And those that don't understand bootstrapping is essentially you're not going out raising equity. You're not asking for angel investments. You're Essentially you're, you're doing it out of your own pockets. You're doing it from the ground up. So like, why did you choose that method versus getting an equity raise?
1: So, it's quite a little, it's quite interesting, my journey. So to be honest, when I went into software, I had no clue what the word software means.
0: Huh.
1: Um, and when someone asked me today, like I speak to people all the time and someone let's take calls into our company to use our software. The first thing what we always try to do is to make sure they're fit. Um, and if they're not of it, it's just in their benefit because we don't want churn. We don't want people signing up and making us crazy and then canceling. So we kind of discuss it on the options. We 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 try not to be pushy on the sale. It's more of like an education approach where we'll educate a client what's missing and what we can do for them and kind of see if those work. And I always had this question, you know, I'm going to develop my own custom software. I'm going to do everything myself because in Amazon, I would say, you know, there isn't one software that nails everything. Mm-hmm. Um, every software like we're, very, we're probably we're one of the best in accounting but we don't do any shipping we don't do auto management we don't do any of those other stuff and auto managers would be like five other like gigantic softwares another like 20 small ones so it kind of like you want to know where, you know, like what to use. And and in every software, it is going to be something that you're not going to have. Like I need this, he needs this, and they need this. And everybody has their like ways how they run their business. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's going to get a little bit um, confusing. And people always tell me like, I'm going to develop on my own. I tell them developing a software on your own, you're probably looking at at least a half a million dollars a year maintenance. Meaning if you're planning to... To go scale, I know half a million. That, and in our case, it's more than a half a million, just on maintenance. Meaning, forget about that. Doesn't that doesn't include adding any new features, just to maintain and you know continue supporting the growth. And obviously, we're also adding new features as well. So maintenance is a very heavy, heavy, expensive package. Which I had no clue about that, and I just didn't do any research. I really trusted my friend, and my friend said that when we can, when I was discussing about developing the software. His original estimate was like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars 20000 which was like, oh, no joke. Here, let's just make it. And before we turned around, we were up to seventy-five. Hmm. And once I was really stuck in that game, I just kept on going. Um, however, if I would have probably taken more like a researchable approach that I, what I should have probably done, I would have probably come to other companies and they would have told me to develop such software as a minimum of a half a million dollars. And you're going to need this, you're going to need this, you're going to need that. So I, I didn't go that approach and I went bootstrapped and I just stayed that way. And we just were, you know, we're a profitable company at this point. So we're just continuing to stay bootstrapped.
0: Hmm. I think it's interesting because, I mean, hearing you talk, I mean, in one aspect, you sound very risk adverse, but at the other time, you know, you sounded like you, you were willing to take a risk. So I want you to kind of like, if you can pick three to five words to th- define your type of personality and who you are, what would those three to five words be to describe you?
1: What do you mean, like, in terms of, like, be clear on the question?
0: So if if, if I was going to pick a word, right, to de- de- define you, would it be um, passionate? Would it be um, an action taker? Would it be um, caring? Like, one single word, three to five of them, to define you and your characteristics.
1: I would say probably the, big, the biggest thing is that I'm probably a very strong go-getter. Mm-hmm. and I'm also very passionate about it and what I do. And I would say I always try to do things with clarity.
0: Hmm. I so, mean, I I can definitely see see the passionate side of it. I mean, did you know that the like the the Hebrew definition or one of the Hebrew definitions of, of your actual name means um, compassionate? Did you know that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never thought of it in that term, but yeah. just, yeah, it kind of...
0: So it's funny that you fall into that bracket. So, I mean, I definitely I definitely see it all day, every day, right? So, I mean, kind of talking about compassion, like when you're talking to your customers, I mean, are you more so like the accountant that's looking at the numbers or are you looking more so for the results to help that client grow?
1: So our mission is always built around clarity. And that's what I always focus on. I always say, what's the difference between bookkeepers and accountants? And you know, accounts. What the way I look at them more is they're. I mean, the accountant does at the end of the year the tax filing. Now, if you have good books and things are set up properly, then when it comes to tax filing, it should be very simple. You just go to QuickBooks, you pull those reports. And then, you know, you kind of work with them and get it done properly. The problem is when the numbers don't make sense. And that's kind of where the accountant becomes the bookkeeper at some point or becomes like the biggest consultant because we're just trying to make sense out of the books. And I've seen these companies day in, day out. So when the bookkeeping is done properly and things are set up right, the tax filing is fairly simple. Um, You know, you see what you have, you kind of take your deductions, you kind of work with it and you work alone. The other thing is, in terms of what I would say, bookkeepers. Bookkeepers are there to answer tough questions. Um, When I when a client approaches me and they say, like, okay, last month we only made ten percent, according to our budgets and projections, we should have made let's say twenty percent or thirty percent. That's where the million dollar question hits, and that's where it kind of gets very challenging. Um, like what do you tell the client now like hmm. so you so the books need to be really clear to understand how you got to that ten percent and to kind of understand how the numbers work and then once you once you have that 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 clear path where you kind of understand what's going on, you know then you can make better business decisions and in terms of let's say you know, I would say one thing what I'm not good at is I'm not like when it comes to do a sale, mm-hmm. like I'm, I I always try to be very clear with the customer, I give them like the right side. Of, and, and if I see it's not a fit, I'll tell them. Because ultimately at the end of the day, you know, I, I focus more on the long run than the short term. And I'd say most of our customers come through referral and word of mouth, mm-hmm. um, which kind of says that, you know, we service a lot of customers and, we, and, and you know, we kind of bring them. But we would always try to focus um, on, on them having clarity and part of what we do is like when we set up a customer, we have an onboarding session with them. So we kind of have first like the technical setup. So they sign up, they give us the credit card, they connect the Amazon accounts, all the APIs. And we wait like a couple of days for the system to load all the information. And then we'll have another call with them, which will have an onboarding session. The onboarding session will be done by a highly experienced bookkeeper which would walk them through the different options and kind of explain to them how it's done. Uh, i give you like a story that I had. I had a customer once, um, which actually was more hands on the bookkeeping. And their P&L showed at the end of the month that they made $75,000 net income. And I was, you know, I knew there's no money in the bank. So I knew something was wrong. (laughs) I'm like, because at a glance it looked all okay. And you know, this was before they, they actually haven't used my software at that point. Um, they were, they used to, we were doing that bookkeeping, but they used to do something called Vendor Central. Oh, so on Amazon, there's like two ways you can sell. They call it 1P and 3P. Um, you can kind of either be a vendor to Amazon where, let's say you're selling um, whatever you're selling. You can call up Amazon and say, okay, let's say I'm selling cups. So I got like a whole stack of them and Amazon would like buy it from you. And then the other option is, and then Amazon would pay, let's say, after 30 or 60 days. Or the other option is that you keep it in your warehouse or you send it into FBA, but the product is still owned by you and you get paid after every sale. So they were kind of doing first, originally vendor central. And then there was a lot of fraud going on there. So Amazon kind of put like a hard stop from one day to the next. So a lot of people just like, their whole business shifted. And then people had to move to start selling on Amazon where Amazon, where they only got paid after their product sold. So this customer, so after I, I, they were actually doing at that point vendor central, and this was at that point of transition, like the first month where they transitioned into seller central, where they were actually selling it themselves on Amazon. So they were doing FBA, which means fulfillment by Amazon. That means say they take a pallet of the stuff and they just ship it out to Amazon. And what the, what they decided to do is they shipped out like hundred thousand dollars worth of goods. It was hundred thousand dollars worth of goods, and. They decided they're selling it on Amazon and after all the fees, they want to hit a 40% markup. So yeah. let me say, if whatever, you know, let's say, let's say the product cost them 10 bucks, they wanted to be after Amazon fees at $14. Now, okay. if that meant they had to sell it at 20 or 25, I don't know. So so they decided to do an invoice of like $140,000. So, like, where it had $40,000 profit and $100,000 was the cost. So they invoiced it towards that. The problem of that was that, first of all, the product was never sold. Mm-hmm. So so kind of like when I started digging through the books and I was like, what is this huge invoice for? They're like, well, we, we sent out a shipment. So I had a few, few questions to them. First of all, the product is not yours. It's, it's not sold. You don't know how long it's going to take. You can't record revenue this month mm-hmm. just because you sent a shipment to FBA. It's still yours because if you want, you can call it back. It's technically your possession. Um, the second problem is, who told you you're going to net 40% markup? Who who gave you that idea? I know that you want to. It sounds cool. But that doesn't mean that it's going to happen because there's so many fees. You don't even know all the fees. Um, prices go up and down. Sometimes you need to lower your price at a dollar in order to start moving some material. And it might be worth it sometimes, you know, if you move more more stuff and you know you sell meaning even if you sell a little lower profit margin but if you move if you get a a faster turnover ratio and a smaller shelf life it's better for you in that sense as well mm-hmm. So I said, these are way too early to know how to book it. And it doesn't make sense. You never sold the products. So we kind of had to delete that whole invoice. And we kind of had to take that inventory and cork books and market that that was sent to FBA. So that kind of turned around the whole game and the whole picture of that. So that's kind of like where, you know, bookkeepers come in. And this is kind of like where we focus on clarity. Like it says you made $75,000 a month. You should have at least some, some something in the bank. It shouldn't be down to $2,000. So if you're now, if you're just making invoices and doing markups because you you like to you know that 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 just doesn't work, okay. and actually they don't make anywhere between forty or fifty thousand a month on Amazon. They're actually doing now I would say probably like around two hundred thousand a month on Amazon, and then their net profit is maybe ten yeah. percent. So they're netting like eighteen to twenty thousand. I mean. On Amazon, everyone is different. I've seen people selling 200,000 on Amazon and making 100,000 profit. You know, every, it depends really on what industry you're in. It depends on what you sell. It depends on a lot of different variables. It depends who takes care of your PPC and all those other stuff. What I'm saying is that, you know, they were on kind of on this assumption, you know, that they thought that from 100,000, they were going to have 40. Meanwhile, from 200, they're only netting twenty uh, 10%, which is like around $20,000 a month.
0: So, I mean, I, I'm listening to you. I mean, and, and again, obviously your, your accountant runs through your blood, your system. Like I hear you writing off the numbers, you know, the numbers cold and like that that makes what the software does even so much more better. Cause again, you're building it from an accountant standpoint. So what I want to do is kind of go back a little bit. What kind of household did you grow up in? Did you grew up in a household that was full with entrepreneurs and accountants, or were you just like that kid that always counted something? And then that turned into your passion later on?
1: Um. So i did not my my actually my my father is a teacher um and I grew up in any household with entrepreneurs um and, but the fact that he was a teacher that pushed me not to be not, to, not not to stay in that line um you know that's it's not like they it's not like they make who knows what mm-hmm. um if you go in business you know sky's the limit so that's really where I kind of had you know set aside where i want to go um I was always good with numbers, always liked math. My father is very good with numbers um, and I always enjoyed technology. Yeah. Um, always enjoyed that kind of hacks. And um, even as a kid, I remember when the i the iPod came out and not the iPods before that, even um, the yeah, not not the iPad, the iPod, right? The iPad with the wheel. Yeah. Remember, we still had the wheel spinning there and we had the iPod, the iPad mini. Then we got the Shuffle Mix and then we got the iPad Touch and then Finally came the amazing iPhone and, you know, so I was always into technology, always into all the other stuff, um, but I never, this really didn't run too much in my family, didn't really, I'm saying I'm like, kind of like, um, I would say completely out of that, like, hmm. not really.
0: So, like, obviously, I mean, you've been on this journey for a period of time, right? So, I mean, like, how long have you been building out this software and how long have you been in an accountant combined together?
1: So. I I'll give you a good background. So as I started out, I I I got married at a very young age. Um, if you're probably familiar with my background from Brooklyn, we all got married at very young. So I was kind of married at a young stage and I was the age of twenty and looking to to earn a living. Yeah. So I was kind of studying a little bit at that point. Um, you know, like we studied a little bit right after we got married and then at some point it was time for me to go find a job. I went, for, I sent out my resume to at least 50 places, nobody responded, it was back in 2011 when we, right after the 08 crash, um, people were very skeptical. Um, I also lived more in a suburb area, which actually today is very bolt up and it's like jobs today are just laying on the floor wherever you step. is a job. Hmm. But back in the days, um, this place was not so built up where I live now. So the jobs, it wasn't like flowing with jobs. I remember begging somebody if you can give me an office position to do bookkeeping for twelve dollars an hour, and I fell on deaf ears. So I was kind of looking to do something and had a very hard time. So at that point, I decided that first thing I would do is I started. I became a cab driver. So I had a friend of mine who ran a cab company, and he was like, "Maybe you want to come drive for us?" Because I told him I needed money. So I was like, no, I'm going to find a normal job. And went by three weeks, I had no choice. I told him, okay, listen, I'm in for it. Mm -hmm. So I drove around for for like a good six, seven months. And at that time, I was always thinking what I want to do. And I did want to, I did have my eyes open of like opening my own business. But I had a problem that, you know, since I didn't come from an entrepreneurial family, stuff like that, I was like really my own. I didn't feel like I had something like, I like, remember I wanted to open a, a rental car company yeah. but I didn't like know even the basics like okay so where am I going to get money to fund this how am I going to do it how am I going to start like how am I going to get customers how am I going to do this like there's too much like vague like too many stuff that I didn't know which that like held me back from like just jumping because I didn't want to just do like a stupid move like just jump and you know splurge twenty, thirty thousand thousand dollars and kind of like you know get lost in between all that so I kind of thought of a career at that point and what was available at that point was accounting sounded like a very good career and my goal originally was to open a cpa for my own cpa and it was uh courses that they were being offered for business people like after hours so i would go to school on sundays and evenings so i really i was able to work still full-time plus attend school so that was a good part and that's why i chose um and and i figured you know that will fit with my personality kind of made sense at that point so i said i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, you know do my bachelor's and then work on my master's and you know kind of pursue accounting career so that's really how i started and then as i was so as i was um i was actually working as a driver and i i was driving i would say 10 hours a day we had to be at i was in the car eight in the morning till six and it was quite a long time and then i decided that i would Um, get CDL license so I figured school bus um, you know they paid quite decent at that point and I was thinking that I can drive a school bus like five six hours a day and then I would have more time to study for college in order to get my master's so I got CDL license I still have it today very proud of it and um, I took all the road tests and I passed everything And then as I passed the road test, the manager of the car service company called me up and said, Hey, we need another dispatcher in the office. Do you want to become a dispatcher? Mm -hmm. So the dispatcher is very different. Um, It was before the times of Uber. Um, And the thing of our car service is very community based, like we served a certain area. and what we tried to do was like if we would drop you off at a certain street, you know, if, if, if the 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 driver should have a pickup like from that street or like a minute away, because if the drivers had to travel too far empty, they didn't make enough money. Okay. So, so that it, it was a challenging job because we had at some points like thirty five drivers, and I'd be sitting on the phone there and getting like six to seven incoming calls every second. And I was like, I had to make split second decisions. Do we have a car for you? I tell you, sorry, we can't service you. And we kind of had to look all around. And you also wanted to make sure that the drivers get the best calls so they make the best they make the most money. Because yeah. if drivers don't make money, then they leave. Yeah. So I, I was at that point already being on the road for six, seven months. I was fed up with being on the road. So I figured that I'm gonna leave the CDL on the side and I'll become a, a dispatcher, which was an easier job, it was nine to five in the office, and then there was somebody else's dispatching night. So I went I became the dispatcher and I was there for like another six months as a dispatcher, and then the manager of the company actually left. The manager of the company opened his own business and they were without a manager. So They were looking for somebody else, and at that point, they said, um, "You know, the manager told the boss, like, listen, you got a qualified candidate in the office. He's just he's the dispatcher, but he can technically manage the business. Mm. Why don't you just take him?' So he wasn't sure because I was very young, but I was like 21, 22 at that age, and they I got promoted at the end. So I got promoted to being a manager. It was a very hard position. Um, Besides managing a business and you know running a cab company is not an easy business." We also worked around the clock. The business opened at eight in the morning and we closed till ten at night. And we were Sundays every single day. So I I took I took on the position and I still went for I still continued the school. So I finished my BA, graduated, and then I enrolled for my master's program. And I started the master's in accounting. So I started the master's was really really hard. And then I found myself in a position where. I was unable to do both I was like either I stayed a car service manager or I pursue my accounting career so I, I called my uncle at that point and I told him like what am I supposed to do I was like you know I started this accounting career like two years ago because I had no job but at this point I have a job I'm making money you know it's it's, it's a good paying job it's also a good job I'm proud of it and he's like what do you what, like what should I do here so his question was to me he's like Nachman what do you want to look like when you're 30 years old? Do you want to be a car service manager or do you want to be an accountant? So I said, I'd rather be an accountant. He's like, can you afford to do the school? I said, yeah. He's like, if you can do it, just go for it. So I took his word. And the next day I I left. I called on my boss. I told him I want to leave. So he's like, hey, what's going on? I said, listen, I'm interested in my career and I don't want to stick around. So he said, okay. And then I started to, so then I continued. So what happened was my boss at that point owned two businesses. He owned a kitchen company, uh, which was a, wholesale, a wholesaler. Plus he also ran a car service company. So I met with him and he said, okay, fine. You want to leave? You want to leave? Two days later, he calls him back. He's like, listen, you're a qualified guy. Um, you yeah. want to leave? So what happened? Oh, what happened was the way, the way I was able to leave so fast mm-hmm. was because I still had my CVL license. So I called a different school and I said, hey, you're looking for new drivers? And like, yeah. I said, I'm ready to come. The guys looked at me like, what? You're the manager Then you? you want to come drive? I said, yeah, I want to do it. So I already had a job like two days later to drive a school bus. And I figured I'll just do a school bus and go back to school for one more year, finish my master's, and then I'll go to an accounting firm and try to get a regular job. In between, my boss, called me back and said, listen, you gave me notice already on your regular, you know, I you give me notice. He said, I usually don't take employees from one company to the next, but it happens to be you're going for accounting, we're looking for somebody to do the bookkeeping in our company. Huh. So I told him sounds amazing. So bookkeeping was easier because it was more of an office job. Hmm. Um if I wanted to go to school, you know, when I went to school after six o'clock my phone was off and Sundays I didn't work, I was able to attend school. So I ended up um accepting his offer as a bookkeeping and I told the I had to find somebody else to replace my other job as a bus driver. So I actually never ended up driving a bus. I have CDL, but I never drove a bus. But um, so I ended up going back into the, into the bookkeeping, and I was there for like a good three and a half, four years. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was continuing through school. And eventually, once I graduated, I started to look into different options of, you know, kind of doing stuff. So even after I graduated, I had a hard time um, finding a job by an accounting firm. So one option was to go like to Manhattan and join the big fours. Um, I wasn't really up to so much going corporate and start, you know, it wasn't so much up my sleeve to, to, to kind of do that. I tried to look more for the local CPA firms. So the local, the local CPA firms usually are like two or three to 15 people, like usually that size. and not too much bigger than that. But a lot of times the individual like me, they can see as a threat because, you know, I was coming with a lot of experience, but they're kind of like, okay, so you're going to sit here for two years and then you're going to leave and just take a lot of clients and go on your own. So I was too like honest. So I didn't want to say that, you know, no, I'm not, I am not gonna even plan to sit here my whole life. So I said, yes, I plan on leaving. I don't plan on sticking around too long. So that made me in a very hard position of finding finding a job to work for an accountant, so at that point, I decided i 'm just going to open a bookkeeping company because bookkeeping is what I've been doing for the last four years and our initial approach when we opened up the bookkeeping wasn 't just like plain bookkeeping, so a lot of people just do plain bookkeeping. What we do is we more we also offer like c f o services and the thing about the c f o services is if the books are done right and things are sh- properly structured then the CFO and the advisory services is very easy yeah. because you kind of know what's going on. If I, know, if I do your bookkeeping, I know your business cold, then I can right away tell you, hey, listen, you're losing money here, you're losing money there. And for example, I have now a client that's going through a hard time and they hired this huge consultant to go through. But what ends up happening is that I'm sitting with a consultant like two hours and I'm like telling him all the problems and they always come back to agree with me. I already told them where the problems are. So he's kind of now trying to like work with the client and trying to like, you know, do some psychology work with them and trying to like get them to like agree that this is the problem and kind of work to solve it. So our initial approach was to do bookkeeping and then offer the service, you know, the CFO advisory services. And we told clients, you know, like instead of hiring somebody in-house, just act, outsource it to an expert. And once a month, you know, we'll go with you the books and we know how to make sure it's properly done. You're, you're very good at selling what you're selling, but doesn't mean that you know how to do bookkeeping. And we're very good at bookkeeping because now we know how to sell your product. So you kind of need the two of them. And we'll make sure that the books are done properly. And we'll we'll work with you, the ups and downs of the businesses and kind of show you where you're making, where you're losing. Okay. And then and then at some point, so and that's when we started the bookkeeping company. And then as before, as I told you, we started working with Amazon sellers. And we kind of jumped into the software as well. And that kind of was interesting because our bookkeeping company took a 360 um, as well. So originally we did any type of bookkeeping. Like we worked with contractors, we worked with hosts, we worked with urgent cares, we worked with doctor's offices. Um, you know, we did all different types of businesses. And then when we started, you know, ConnectBooks, what ended up happening was I was very involved in the software and we stopped getting other businesses because we weren't doing any major sales. And um, we started getting, but we started getting a lot of, um, bookkeeping book, bookkeeping requests through our regular um, software. So people like would call in and say, you know, we would tell them, okay, you can use the software. Like, yeah, but we need somebody to do the bookkeeping. It's like, you know what? We can either do like a full package where we do the full bookkeeping for you, or you can kind of just take the software and do it yourself, or you can use a different bookkeeper. We're, we're okay with any anyway. So what ended up happening was we got a lot of bookkeeping accounts through our software, a lot of bookkeeping business. So we kind of took our bookkeeping business and we kind of decided that we're going to specialize just in e-commerce. So our bookkeeping company today does only bookkeeping with e-commerce. We only accept e-commerce customers. And it's a win-win situation because it's a win We explain to every customer very simple we hire bookkeepers. However, if the bookkeeper has no clue what's flying on in your business and you know they're going to be this massive expert from 20 for 20 years bookkeeping obviously they're not going to be working for us you know they're going to be some cfo in some big company. So obviously we're hiring more to the junior side but when you hire the junior side you have to make sure that the employees really know what they're doing and when you work one day in a contractor company and one day you work in a wholesale you work in a plumber then you work in a kitchen company it's very hard to become an expert in all these different areas and you have to, because every business has its own niche and has a different, like how they're working. Like for example, a contractor, this contractor that I work with, his main money, he made this off contractor contract fee that he charged you 15%. So we need to keep track of every single job, you know, he's doing. So he's renovating a house. So, okay, so the plumber charges $20,000, now we need to build that 15% and, Uh, But one second, but we can't pay the plumber in full because we only, we have to leave like $3,000 open in case he doesn't finish the job. So that's how we get him to come back. With Amazon, you don't have that, you know? So every, every company is so different Mm -hmm. and all these little stuff make a lot, make it very hard to scale a service based business in that end. Like if you want to, if you want to scale a service based business, you have to make sure that you dump down the process dumb enough that it can just be repeated very simple. And that's how you're good at what you're doing. So in the e-commerce space, we were able to do that. We were able to take our bookkeeping company. And since we only do Amazon only, we mean Amazon, Walmart, eBay, Shopify. So we have the software that kind of automates the hard part of the bookkeeping. And then we do the rest of it, you know, in terms of the other stuff. So when a client calls us, we tell them, listen, you can, you know, this is what we do. And we only do e-commerce. So you can go to any other bookkeeping company but very few out there specialize just in e-commerce and since we specialize just in e-commerce you're going to get the most for your money because the amount you're paying us is the same that you'd pay for any other bookkeeping company and you're going to get you're going to get an expert bookkeeper so when we hire someone new we have to do one thing train them how to do bookkeeping for e-commerce. You don't have to train them how to run 20 different businesses. You don't have to train them how to do bookkeeping for a contractor, wholesaler, and then an Amazon business and all that. We have our, like, stand away how we work. And we kind of take all our customers and blend blend them into our method, how we do bookkeeping. And that kind of like streamlines streamlines the whole process. So this has been going already for like the last year and a half. We're not bookkeeping company. We just service Amazon. And it's been amazing.
0: So, I mean, I think I think part of what you said is, I mean, first and foremost, the fact that you're in New York and you're driving taxis and you're driving, well, potentially driving school buses, you're kind of an adrenaline junkie undercover, right? I mean, obviously, anyone that has been to New York before, they understand that taxi drivers are absolutely crazy people, right? Just so you drove that for six to seven months that, that yeah.
1: night, and so. I have I have a soft spot in them i have a real soft spot whenever i'm on the road and like a car wants to pass me i always pull over and let them go i'm like they're on the road for 10 hours and you're on the road for like 20 minutes and you just like finish working like and also keep in mind there's a taxi like if i was to speed and i would drop off my passenger two minutes early that means i started the next call two minutes so it it could go even more than that it's like if you finish now Sometimes, let's say it's not so busy. So if you finish faster and you finish like a minute before a different driver, so you already get the next call. Versus the other driver can now wait 10 minutes for another call. Mm. And he doesn't make any money because it's all commission based based on what you bring in. So you kind of have to like know how to stuff. I remember that, I mean, I used to know, let's say if I would hit a certain red light, I would know that if I go to the turn, when it turns green, first it will turn on a, a turn signal. And like a minute later, it would turn green. So if I was to get somewhere, and I knew I can go either straight or turn, but if I'm hitting, if I'm going to hit the red light, I'll just go into the turning light because the turning light is going to come on a second faster. I'll get there like 20 seconds earlier. Well, but it wasn't like it wasn't like about being. It wasn't. It, it, it's never like even if I did ever drive a little fast, never like about being wild or something like that. It was always just about we wanted to bring home money. Mm-hmm. And we just need to feed our families. And you know, when it was raining, like like in the summer, when you have like these real thunderstorms, and you can barely see out your windshield. I remember I got a call at that point to take somebody from here to like a neighborhooding city. It's like if you're going let's say from Brooklyn to Bushwick, I don't know, like a it's like a random day. It shouldn't take you more than 20 minutes. It took me not even take like 15 minutes in a random day. Since it was pouring, it took me like 25 to 30 minutes. Because I was careful. In the end. It wasn't like a, I wasn't a maniac was a careful driver. And I remember by the time I dropped that person off, I didn't get any call in that area, and we didn't operate in that area, so I had to come all the way back. Hmm. Um, it took me like a good 50, 60 minutes. The customer paid me then, what, $15 to that call? And I got 50%, so I got 750 That's You know, for driving, for driving 50 minutes in trench as rain.
0: You had said something that that made me think about this next question. I mean, you're talking about making money for your family and you were doing all this. I think you said you was age twenty one, twenty two, but but the audience doesn't know as of yet until now that you have four kids. So, like, my next question is, like, how the hell were you managing all these different things and having four kids and doing the hustle and going to school all at the same time?
1: Um, First of all, who said I was managing? <laughs> okay. okay. Sure. It doesn't. It, it it was tough, and guess what? It still is tough. Mm. Um. But however, when you kind of see it down the line, you know, um, you kind of you see the beauty of it. You see, you know, there's nothing like having gorgeous children and come home after they work and they come running to the door and you play with them and you kind of see them, you know, take after you. Like there's nothing like that, and that's really what keeps you going. Um. It was, I'm saying in the beginning, obviously, when I was still driving, only I had, um, I think it was before I had any kids. And, you know, it was only, I have four kids, but it's over over the last 12, last 11 years. Mm-hmm. So, in the beginning, we had one or two kids. It was a little, and I mean, I was a lot of my own. Pretty much my wife took care of it. I mean, even even today, like um, these times when I still I still stay in the office till 10 o'clock at night, I mean, even if we have as, as many employees as I have, there's always work that still piles up and I'm trying to delegate as much as possible. And every time I have the ability to just hire another person or sometimes we don't have the right person, you know, we have to find somebody who fits that skill set and can kind of take that, you know, we'll hire, we'll get them. But I, I can still stay in the office till 10 o'clock at night. And these many times where I come home, my kids are sleeping and I wake up a little late in the morning because I've been up to 11, 12 o'clock. I, I need my sleep. By the time I wake up, they already went on the bus and they're off to school. And I can go back like three or four days know. I don't see them. Wow. Wow.
0: So I mean that's that's definitely something that that's interesting. I mean, obviously with every entrepreneur, like we're all doing this for the legacy of our kids. And obviously there's some times where like you, you may not be able to see your kids. So like my next question is like where do you see you and your business twenty years from now? Where ideally do you want it to be?
1: So yeah, I, I don't think um I don't wanna see myself I mean these times I work let's say fourteen hours a day, even these days. Um, I mean it's very different what I'm doing today than what I've been doing eight years ago and nine years ago. Because today ultimately what I do, um, I do it with a passion. Like I feel like I'm doing something for my time. Um, I feel like I'm building something and it's something that I'm helping a lot of businesses, I'm helping a lot of people, and it's something I'm really proud of. Um, ultimately I don't wanna see myself in twenty years from now on the same stage. So we're kind of looking, you know, and I would say probably like within the next year, I'm looking to settle the business where it kind of should start taking it over on its own. And what I do in business is every division in the company, I'm trying to get somebody in there for me Mm. to kind of manage that space. So, for example, let's say development. We're running now a team of five full-time developers, but we got top-notch developers. So like our main developer, you're familiar with B&H Photo, right? From Manhattan. Yeah. So our main our C, our CTO was the head of security in B and H photo. So we kind of grabbed someone like that and they're capable enough. So I can sit on this podcast or actually last week I was in Austin, Texas for a full week. I was there doing this a a seller summit, like Amazon sellers get together. And um it was uh it was called the billion dollar seller summit. Um the BD BDSS um was pretty much like really eight, eight nine-figure sellers, you know, and I was there for the week, kind of networking with all these great individuals, and I got a lot of contact information, a lot of leads to follow up with. Um, I, this show was from Monday through Thursday, and I kind of decided last week, Sunday afternoon, that I was going. So Sunday night is when I booked my ticket, and Monday morning, uh, five o'clock, I got into my car, six o'clock, I was at the airport, and at seven o'clock, my flight took off. And I was there till until Thursday. So kind of like I just... And I just notified my team, hey, I'll be out for the week. And the only way I was able to do that is because we got, you know, the right people in place taking our stuff. So there's still a lot of stuff that's falling on my plate Um, because there's kind of a lot of like as a CEO, you wear a lot of different hats. So each time as I can shape out a new position and kind of take those responsibilities and find the right person, okay. we get them. And that's how we can scale the team or scale the company.
0: So, I mean, let's just talk about, let's say I am someone that's 20, 21 years old, right? I'm listening to, to your story and I see myself wanting to get into Amazon or FBA, getting into Walmart, wanting to get in, into the e-com space. What words of wisdom do you have for me to help me continue on my journey to be successful?
1: So what I would say the best thing is I know people like to be, I would say, first of all, one thing I do want to say, Amazon is not a career. Um, people make that mistake. Amazon is not a career and Amazon is not a side hustle. Amazon is a business. And a business means that you can make money and you can also lose all your money. Um, A side hustle, what I mean is also people think that they can take a full-time job and at night do it. That has been the case a couple of years ago, but recently there's a lot of competition and Amazon is constantly evolving. Stuff are changing. So you know, Amazon is pretty much a full-time game if you're looking to get into it. I would say um, the good thing about Amazon is that it's an easy it's an easy way in. Meaning to say, the idea of not having to run your own warehouse, the idea of having, like, let's say for example, if you were to bring in a very successful product, and you would bring in twenty thousand units, and all of a sudden one day you get two thousand orders. There's no way you can manage that unless you're prepped for that properly. Yeah. And that usually comes after years and years having your own business and building a warehouse with a team and getting a, a warehouse manager, a shipping manager, receiving manager, right? In Amazon, you don't need that. They take care of all of that. So if you have one day 200 orders, if you have one day 2000 orders for Amazon, that's no difference. And that's kind of the easy and success path which Amazon lays forward for you in order for you to grow very fast. So that's kind of the that that's kind of the, the good part of the beauty of Amazon. Um, but what I would say is for the most thing is don't jump too fast. I've seen many times people just like get very like aggressive and they kind of buy a lot of stuff and then they stay over with like a lot of garbage and then they're like, Oh, Amazon doesn't work. Um I've seen it from like 15 different angles, at Amazon. And there's a lot of good people out there. I mean there's a lot of courses. Like for example, I joined the billion dollar seller summit. That's not for beginners. But there is um, a lot of like masterminds, groups, networking events you can go to. Um, you know, there's a lot of like smaller them that are only a couple hundred dollars. And I would say the the best the best investment you could do yourself is an education because that kind of sticks with you. Mm-hmm. And if you educate yourself properly, how the Amazon games work, and you go to these networking events, which is very, very important. I never used to understand what's so important of a networking event. And today I do because you just sometimes meet somebody and they like just tell you about one little hack they've done and that might save your business. So they can tell you about some software that they've used, which you never heard about or you've never even thought about it or you kind of like get to see all that. So there's a lot out there. And I would say like even four years ago when I started, you know, the software is maybe like barely any trade shows. I mean, uh, you know, this point there's probably like over at least fifty events going out throughout the year. Uh, there's almost like every other week another event somewhere around the world for Amazon sellers. So there's so much there's, there's so much out there that you can learn, and just make sure you're well educated and you understand what you're doing before you like just jump in cold.
0: Got it. So if, this is say, somebody's listening and they want to get in contact with you, they want to probably get a trial use of your software. Where can they go to get access?
1: Yeah. So they can just go to our website, connectbooks.com. Um, and they can just like either sign up for a free trial or on the website we have a chat option. We got live chat, they can either chat with the sales team, um, you know, and we'll you know, we'll help them we'll help them get set up. Cool. And we do have a special promo for the listeners of um this podcast. Uh, we'll give you we'll give an additional ten percent off for the first twelve months of their subscription. And the coupon code is going to be BOSS, B-O-S-S. Um, this is limited to the first 25 um, people who signed up.
0: Great, great. So uh, going into like the bonus round, and I'm, I'm pretty interested to kind of hear what your answer is going to be to this question. If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, that person could be dead or alive, and you could spend these 24 hours uninterrupted with that person, who would it be and why?
1: Oh, my. That's a tough question. That's a tough question. I mean, I I would probably want to spend. I mean, I don't. I, I it would be hard for me to say name, but like, I, I probably want to spend it with a good business coach, like a really extremely talented, someone like super smart, who understands the world world in a different way. um It's like if you ever read the book of. um how to win friends and influence people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like from Dale Carnegie. It's like kind of like explaining how people are just human reactions. Um, like it's the way like how to communicate with people. Like sometimes when people get upset, it's just like um, if you look through the lens, you actually see that's a person behind it. It's a qualified person. It's just some kind of reaction that they have, and that that alone, for example, in business, that can help you succeed a lot because if you want to be CEO. The bigger you are, the more money you're gonna make I mean that's the usual game and if you're a big company, you kind of need to have good people skills hmm. you need to be able to you need to be able to work along with people and everybody has their like ins and outs and the kind of the trick of the c e o is being a leader, but when you lead, you wanna make sure your workers follow you in the right direction that you wanna lead a company and it's the way how you get the message so I would probably wanna you know have kind of understanding on that part more like that helps a lot out. And then kind of understanding risk management and, you know, those stuff that, that really would help out. I wouldn't have an exact name to put in there.
0: I mean, I I think it's interesting. I mean, you you brought us around to the books and I remember listening to um, a podcast that you were on, you were a guest and you were saying that one of your favorite books at the time was E-Myth. So my next question is like on the book spectrum, why was that book such a, a prominent book for you?
1: So the E-Myth was really, really on in my career. I mean, the beginning, um, I didn't really, I mean, didn't. Uh, I moved a laugh from there. Yeah. So what the E-Myth kind of like, I mean, explains a lot is what happens is when you start a business and I had it actually in my company and it was very interesting because when I read the book, I felt like the guy's like, he's like, a, he's like telling the future of my company. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, every chapter, like, hey, how do you know what's going on in my business? How do you know what's going on? And it was kind of like in a short, I would say is that he in the book, basically what happens is you start a company and I was like one guy myself, i like doing bookkeeping and I started like, how did I start? took my phone, went through all my contacts, called everybody in the world I ever knew and said, Hey, I opened the business and I'm doing so. So do you want my services or not? And we picked up five or six customers that way. And you know, because when I started from one day to the next, I had no business. Oh. So then what happens is you hire an employee. So this is, I see a lot of times in small businesses. You hire someone who's very qualified. Like you can hire somebody who's a hard worker, somebody who means just good, and they're there to support you throughout the journey. However, and I've seen this, I've heard this from a lot of other business owners, is when the business grows, that employee expects to like grow right under you and to become like the next major employee in the company. Now, a qualified employee doesn't always mean they're a manager. A manager is somebody who has people skills. A manager is somebody who can hit deadlines. Um, I can hit a deadline if I stay up to 12 o'clock at night, but that's not the goal in business. The goal is business that my employees hit the deadline. Wow. So I have to make sure that I somehow incentivize them enough that they're willing to work. On the other hand, I feel like I'm not getting on their nerves. On the other hand, they're not going to stay here past five, and I don't want them to stay past five, because otherwise they get burnt out. Wow. So you kind of have like a challenge on like how to get stuff done on time, without you doing without lifting a finger hmm. so that's a skill on its own in terms of managing employees a good employee doesn't always mean that they can be your manager hmm. a good employee you know could be so i was kind of going through that mistake and it cost me a lot to cost me a good employee where we took the, the guy who we start who my first employee in the bookkeeping company and as we got more employees he officially was supposed to manage other employees however he just was terrible that it just you know just didn't work out and customers were getting very frustrated very upset and we kind of told them that okay listen we need to reverse and i never thought of it in that way like never thought in the depthness of like what means people skills how to manage people how to manage employees how to kind of train people and that's where we kind of got hit with and then we had to like kind of reshift and refocus and um you know i took over a little bit of the managing part and then we got more employees to kind of execute other stuff. And that's kind of how we tried to work today. Hmm. So it's a, th- that was like a eye opener, which I felt like, you know, I've seen it in a lot of companies is where like they run the mom pop business. And then as their company all of a sudden starts to expand, they think that their mom pop employees can do, you know, and just run the company as they would.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Well, I definitely appreciate you being on the show today. And and obviously, going into um, closing of this particular episode, I'd like to give you an opportunity to become the host of the Boston Cage podcast. So I mean, obviously, we talked about a lot of different things. We talked about FBA, we talked about Amazon, we talked about accounting, we talked about your software. And anyone that's listening, I would definitely recommend at least take this software to heed, test it out. Because again, if you're in that environment, and what this software is going to do for you, it'll pay for itself 10 time's over so in closing i want you to kind of think about you're a host of a a podcast now what questions do you have for me
1: um why do you have a podcast
0: So a podcast for me, like an original part of it was just kind of like me trying to figure out like my next thing that I was going to do. And then it turned into like a legacy. And I always say, look at a podcast as leaving the documentations of where you are in business, what happens in your business, what things you overcame in your business, but you're recording all this content and you're leaving it behind for other entrepreneurs to listen to. And you're also leaving it behind for your legacy to listen to. So like the conversation with you and I, it's a conversation. We're talking about Amazon fulfillment. We're talking about shipping. We're talking about taxes we're talking about numbers there's somebody in this world sooner or later that will listen to this episode and get something fruitful from it and use it and take action
1: wow that's i mean a lot of owners usually like try to take podcasts more like spreading the network and kind of that but that's an interesting take it's very valuable to, to see that you know you give away this amount of time to kind of do the podcast just like for the legacy that's super super amazing
0: yeah yeah i mean i think it goes back to i mean if you look at like rockefeller and you look at all the like the major billionaires in our lifetime i mean obviously they do things to, to to raise revenue and to build money but again like what they instilled in their families for generations was more so the legacy than anything else the money was just there to support what they wanted them to grow and do and develop after they were dead and gone
1: right wow and who is who is your biggest business coach that you follow
0: Oh man, wow! It comes down to because I always say like I have a split personality disorder, right? So in on one side I'm a marketer, on the other side I'm a podcaster, I'm an author, um, I'm a designer. So I, I try to syndicate based upon whatever I'm working on primarily at that point in time. Uh, I would say Tony Robbins is is a is a is a good general because he's a he's a great marketer. But he's also by default a great speaker that then makes legacy look very easy. And he, without him even doing it, he's a podcaster by default. So looking at his systems in place, um, another person that I look at pretty frequently on the authorship side of things is Ty Cohen, just because of what he's built. And obviously he's we call him the Kindle Kindle Cash Flow King, and it's for good reason. Like he's systematized Kindle to where anyone can come in off the street and learn how to make money, make revenue from Kindle. And he does it so effectively.
1: Wow. Yeah. Systems and processes are probably like one of the, it's like, it's one of the places we're heading now is like to kind of like have SOPs in place. Mm -hmm. And I kind of find that businesses that have good SOPs and they have stuff written down. Like if an employee comes and employee leaves, Mm -hmm. it's like just very easy to kind of just like swap and get things around. And It just makes system it just it just makes transition easy. It makes anything easy. It's like anytime I have a question I go, I don't have to like explain you now, here's a document, just go read this and you will have your answer or like watch this video and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean SOPs are I mean I, I don't see how businesses could well then again, most businesses don't operate for long without essentially building SOPs and they'll never scale without them. So
1: Right. But it's it's annoying to build them
0: oh hell yeah they're tedious as hell and a lot of times it's in your head and you're trying to what i've learned with like what i'm doing my sops is i create videos so every time i'm doing a task for my team instead of me sending an email i'll record a 5 10 15 minute clip and then that video could then be transcribed and then you know get a writer to then convert that into an sop but by default the video was always there and i could always just send someone to that video to watch it and i'll show them the steps on what i want them to do and how to do it
1: yeah yep I use a lot of Loom. I love Loom video. If anyone like looks for like a good like desktop software, I use Loom. Probably have like over a thousand videos at this point recorded. Like, anytime I need to do something, sometimes like instead of just sitting for an hour and writing this complicated email and go there, you just turn on screen recording, get your mic on, and just like, you no, know, hey, look, you go right over here. You see this? You do this? You do that? And then they you know, kind of get it and get it in place and get it moving. Yeah, yeah, uh, I
0: think you bring a great point because even to the point now I do that with invoices because a lot of times what I've realized is that the conversion point for invoices fall apart with not knowing what those price items are utilized for. So someone will look at an invoice and be like, what is this line item? And nine out of ten times they won't even ask you. They just probably be like, okay, whatever, I'll get back to you. But if you send a video explainer and you go through line by line and you tell them that this is for this, this is what the rates are, and they can see you and see what you're talking about, it converts them. Way more than it wouldn't convert them mm-hmm. if you didn't do it before.
1: Yeah. I yeah. guess we can all agree video is probably the best today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for, for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, not man, I definitely appreciate you being on the show today, man. You're you definitely a great guest. I mean, you have so much insight and ingenuity into the Amazon fulfillment space as far as it, when it goes into the account and the bookkeeping. And obviously, you're doing that with Walmart and Shopify and eBay as well, too. So I definitely want to say thank you for being on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was really great being here.
0: Great. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncage. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.